Indigenous Action is an autonomous, anti-colonial broadcast with unapologetic and clause-out analysis towards total liberation. We feature radical frontline Indigenous voices and dig deep into critical issues impacting our communities. So take your seat by this fire and may the bridges we burn together light our way. All right, uh, Chukma, everyone. Welcome back to our end of the year uh, shit talk session. Um, so Is it really the end of the year already? Yeah. Um, and I don't even know. It's a Gregorian calendar. Dine New Year ended a while back. I, uh, is time real? Let's discuss. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you. Get into uh, it. It's all right. Okay. Um, well, uh, Chopma, everyone, Sahol Chifua, Kitty Contagion, Chikasha Saya, Sholoptoglo Saya, and, uh, Occupied Flagstaff, Ako Antali. Um, so I'm finally back up in the embrace of the peaks. Really happy about that. Um, if everyone else wants to introduce themselves. Um, don't really know what much to say about myself other than I live in occupied autumn lands, just working my life away. And I'm really angry about it. Fuck yeah. Yeah, there's a hot sinful. She cleat as a genet. Torich eat nish bashes chee, knock it in a dash and a lesson. Bay the chee, or obey the chee dash chee. It always sounds weird saying that. Bay the chee. It's like a red coats, Russian Polish, somewhere. My mom's side. Uh, originally from Black Mesa, currently reside here in occupied Kinflana at the base of the holy San Francisco peaks. We are where we are still fighting for protection of this sacred site, and now we're fucking gearing up to fight or continue the fight. This is like a 40 year struggle against a uranium mine not too far off, threatening another sacred site in Grand Canyon. So my voice is sort of shot today. I've been just dealing with some shit, so excuse me. Uh, maybe I'll sound older and wiser. <laughs> so there's not a lot of structure to today, um, but it seems like some of some of the things we're coming to this with is a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, of course, as usual. Um and, you know, maybe a little bit of just exasperation. That's what I'm feeling a little bit. Um, so we're just going to talk some shit. We're going to talk about what's been pissing us off this year. And maybe we'll talk a little bit about what we want to do moving forward. How we're going to address all this shit that frustrates us. So whoever wants to go first, what's pissing you off the most these days? I don't even know where to begin. I'll go after somebody else because I got fucking That's right. 
big ass no, list. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's I been guess a while. Main... Yeah, it's been a while since you've been on the show, so what's up? Yeah, not since it started. I guess that's the main thing that pisses me off is um you know, just pretty much how my life revolves around my job and and surviving, living in this big ass city full of all these people. And there's nothing like being stuck in big city traffic and seeing all these fucking cars, you know, bumper to bumper and realizing it's one fucking person in all these fucking cars going somewhere we don't want to go. <laughs> and just doing that day after day. I mean, I do work with, you know, other natives and not no liberal academic, whatever, nonprofit kind of natives. It's just all working class natives. And um, there's room to just ponder how stupid you know, our jobs are. You know, we have this ongoing thing where, you know, what I, I can't remember the names of anything, but there's this image of um, old timey image of the um, boarding school era of our history. And, the, you know, they would take pictures of the same native person, but them, you know, wild and uncivilized. And there, which is, isn't obviously, it's just them in, in their clothes. And then side by side with them with their haircut and slicked back and and whatever fucking uniform they're in. And that whole, you know, process of forced assimilation and whatnot and how that plays into my everyday life these days is, you know, what they call like tribal development or some shit, you know, like they go in and like pick all these natives to go have these special meetings with so that all the bosses and whatnot can talk about how this Native American business venture is doing so much to employ natives, so it's a good thing. And I don't know, just living that kind of life side by side, it's like being stuck in that same cycle all over again. And there's only so much shit I could steal from work or sabotage at work that makes me feel better. It gets me through like so much stuff, but it's still not enough. I mean, I don't know if it, I can't remember verbatim like what Bonanno said about play not being really play under capitalism. It's just another role of the worker or another mode of production you don't really even get to play when you're trying to even if it's a form of revenge so that starts to feel like that after a while too but that might be more of the pessimistic nihilist part of me though so that's my first log in the fire of things i'm pissed off about As someone who is too physically disabled to like work jobs like that, or just pretty much like any uh, full-time job, 
I definitely share that frustration in that, like, I see so many people I care about um, just completely caught in that. And there's only, like, so many words um, or just anything that can relieve that kind of frustration and, like, relieve, like, the contradiction of having to do all this bullshit and like you said, like, even when you're resting or, you know, you're playing, like, it's always just, like, looming there. And then, of course, like, seeing other natives, like, be super invested in this. It's not just, a, you know, Arizona thing. Like, it's everywhere. Everywhere I turn, there is some native trying to run a successful business or you know make their way up in the world and it's the same thing like in the drag scene like in the art world um it's just a whole lot of sellout bullshit um combined with a lot of cognitive dissonance and but that cognitive dissonance is actually kind of something I wanted to get into today. Um, because something that I've been noticing more and more, I mean, maybe it's always been there, but I feel like it's mounting, you know, ever since um, the pandemic started in 2020, where we're seeing this like really like harsh come down and the, like the growing of fascism worldwide and yet and like there has been response to this right like we've seen a lot of people protesting and taking action around palestinian liberation but at the same time i feel like many many people are just becoming completely apathetic um there's this idea of like oh well like I don't know what to care about or there's just so many things uh so how can I like care about them all or like well you know like we'll just all go to jail or we'll all be killed like if we try to do something about this so what's even the point of trying to do something um that's like a, that's a pretty big thing that I see like amongst people my age like so like my question is why is this apathy happening? Is it because people have nowhere to put all of their grief and their anger? Is it because that like that part of us has just been trained to be turned off or to be ignored in favor of small comforts like consumerism? I think a lot about um, like addiction to consumerism and you know I've also seen some people start to be like okay well we actually need to divest from this and part of the reason why we feel like we're so fucked is because we're completely reliant on the colonial instruments like you know being like having water or electricity getting food from a grocery store all of these things we need them and 
if they're being provided by the enemy and then suddenly that goes away that leaves people with a lot of concerns understandably and something i've just been i've been thinking about a lot is um how are we going to actually lessen our dependence on this because i feel like before anything else we need to be self-sufficient and if we had networks where we could be reliant on each other and not be reliant on these colonial instruments i think a lot more people would have more ideas about what to do with this frustration what to do with this anger but then there's the apathy that is becomes that obstacle where you know there's all this conflict avoidance because people don't want to face like what we're actually up against because it's fucking terrifying but the alternative is much more scary in my opinion and i just i feel like there's too few people pushing back on this there's too few people wanting to lessen the dependence because it's hard and it takes a lot of cooperation it takes a lot of again like weaning yourself off of that consumerism and i think for a lot of people they're stuck in that working cycle and all this bullshit is happening no one can afford jack shit anymore there's no real play there's not even any pretend play anymore that combined of course like with the pandemic like people are becoming sick they're becoming disabled so how can we fight if we're sick hungry and tired so apathy huh kitty very true very true <laughs> um yeah. well what do you think like is that something that you experience yeah i mean you, you click your buttons we'll let you know when you when we hear you again mm. but yeah i mean I don't really, I tend to like wonder, um, like who we're socializing with, you know, to try to like make sense of where the apathy comes from. Cause a lot of times, especially in like spaces like this, um, it's, you can, they're, they're, everybody's really busybody. Like they're all activisty and they're always doing some some holy work of some kind and it's like if you're not doing that then it looks like apathy mm. and i don't really hang out in these kind of spaces like i said i just work so i just i only i only know people that just work and don't think about politics or anything like that and as far as apathy from them i mean it is just fitting into gender norms, fitting into social norms, and being satisfied with 
you know, any small promises of prosperity. And that's enough for a lot of people. I went through this whole thing trying to organize some kind of something for the, uh, when the Super Bowl was here. Mm -hmm. And because like where I worked, if we say, if we stopped working, <laughs> you know, it would have dramatically impacted, you know, how smoothly that Super Bowl was. And I just couldn't get anybody behind it. And I was just even just like, what's one thing you would like differently about your everyday life? You know, if you could have it, if Yeah. you just didn't work for a couple of days, I mean, <laughs> that's it. That's all I'm saying. You know, like, it doesn't have to be one central slogan for us to get behind. It can just be like, we all want this. And whoever is impacted by this that wants us to come back to work, everybody needs to figure out how to make our list of demands ha happen, you know, Mm -hmm. just little things like that. And it was, it was just simply, yeah, fear of repression. It was fear that all of their good One, behavior two, two. that should lead them to some sort of prosperity is, hey, you're back. Okay, you're I thought, up. yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Continue. Mute. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't remember what I, what I was saying now. You're talking about prosperity and the ability to shut shit down and people basically not wanting to step out of their privileged Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. apathy. Privilege. Just kidding. Well, I characterize it as such. <laughs> There's a nuanced conversation there. well, yeah, you know, I don't know how to have a nuanced conversation. I just like to be all somehow. That's my contribution to nuance. A massive cudgel. Uh, I wanted to back up real quick, if you don't mind. Um, uh, just because our show, we try to break down academic jargon. Kitty, you brought up cognitive dissonance. Could you break that down for our audience if folks don't Yes. understand that term? Yes. Um, so it's kind of just the idea that um, humans can hold contradictions in their own minds. And even if they think one way, they might act another way. Um, and our brain has a way of kind of compartmentalizing, like putting things in boxes and Just being like, okay, well, you know, like I know all this shit is bad in the world, but I have to keep going to work, even if maybe they know deep down like this can't continue. There's still that putting in a box of like we got to put all that crap away because we got to worry about this right now, which sometimes can be a good tool, um, but. in this society that we live in, it's just completely full of contradictions all the time. And if you try to weave, like try to get through all of that, it just gets so tangled up so fast, which is kind of why cognitive dissonance happens. Because um, we'd all be going crazy. Well, some of us are, like me. But um, 
yeah, I don't know if that answers. Yeah, well, I just wanted to make sure it was broken down a bit, even on your terms, because you brought it up. And then I want to recommend for folks listening, you're not already aware, uh, Franz Fanon wrote a lot about cognitive dissonance relating to colonialism. And so I highly recommend checking out, um, of course, you know, it's always a recommended read regarding anti-colonial struggle. His politics were complicated. Even today, he's, you know, even though he recognized, he was recognized as a, a revolutionary socialist, Marxist, even Marxist denounced him for a lot of reasons, but uh, Black Skins, White Masks, powerful work, and Wretched of the Earth required reading, I think, for uh, anti-colonial struggle, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I wanted to get into the question of apathy and, like, you're talking about what pisses you off. Um I actually wrote a book about it, and it's published now under Detritus uh, Books uh, called No Spiritual Surrender, um, Indigenous Anarchy in Defense of the Sacred. And the last chapter essentially addresses what we're addressing now, because um, I don't think apathy is necessarily a bad thing. Uh, I, I, mean, I think there's something to be said about leaning into anti-social behaviors, but anti-settler society uh and just like one of the things that i propose uh is you know acknowledging not just the seven generation honoring the seven generation concept because a lot of people use that as a tokenizing pan-indigenous term that's you know it's rooted in um some other indigenous nations practices i think Haudenosaunee, and it's been adopted widely because it is something that aligns itself very well with the thinking of the cycles and the, the care for the future um, generations. But at the same time, like we're, we're in this process. And I think what you bring up to is important of, of going through the motions of replicating and reproducing settler futures, not on our terms and the dependencies that you talked about, Kitty, the, um, because I, I think reliance is a, a, a different concept because it, it seems like when I hear reliance, it's like oh, we're relying on this. No, we're fucking dependent because our, our fucking food systems were scorched earth, like our traditional means of fucking survival from the Buffalo and for Diné people, like our fields, our fucking sheep, like everything was scorched earth. So we're, we're like only a hundred years away or less from this annihilation process of destroying our means of existence and then it being replaced by forts, first of all, because food has been a weapon, food rations. Like during, before the long walk, when Kit Carson was attacking Diné people, uh, like it's with scorcher of tactics, um, that was their strategy essentially was to starve people into submission. They offered rations at the forts when people came for the food. You know, one, there was like an element of dependency for the people already there, but it was a trap. And of course, march, you know, thousands of miles to Fort Sumner, well, they, as we call it. So like globally, this has been a colonial strategy to deprive people of that which sustain themselves, which is of the earth for indigenous people. Uh, and and I, I think it's important to be real about part of that. It's not an accident. It's not something we're relying on. It's induced by 
colonial violence, and then it's maintained by capital order. Uh, and that's a very structured arrangement. It's institutionalized and it still impacts us to this day. There's, you know, the Navajo Nation in Epikea is considered a food desert. We have roughly 17 like food production places. Some of them are uh, fucking gas stations where we can access healthy foods. And then a lot of people have to go two hours away. So we're talking about the pandemic. You know, we mobilized hardcore mutual aid, you know, in a space where it's like, you know, people were like, um, you know, like basically in some ways, and this is something I write, I write about in the book, but I wrote his previous essay, you know, there's, a, there's quite a few essays that were already published about COVID-19 resistance and indigenous autonomy and some of the dynamics, especially regarding all these statistics people were putting. And I was just like, hey, we're, we're not fucking victims. We're actually like survivors and resisting the expansion of capital. All these Dineb politicians who are like, hey, we can fix this by putting Walmarts on every corner so we don't have to go to Flagstaff. Or we don't have to go to Gallup. When Gallup was doing fucking lockdowns, with military, essentially militarized police forces or the National Guard that they were calling on, they announced during the pandemic that they were going. They they locked out the city because there was such an influx of people who were who were taking shit off the shelf. So the scarcity aspect impacted even more disproportionately and exacerbated, you know, the the necessary resources people had. But then the politicians turn around and they're like. Oh, Walmart's in every corner, Home Depot's in every corner. That'll be our solution. So capitalist expansion is a factor. Not that, you know, yeah, look at the statistics, 30%, no electricity, 30% of the population of about you know, 250 or so thousand that live on the res uh, without running water, without electricity, even more. It's like one of the highest per capita rate uh, compared to not, you know, I think, I think uh, Pine Ridge is the highest. Um, for indigenous communities of poverty. And and I'm just like, no, like I look at my elders, they're still pretty self-sufficient, you know. Uh, there, there's, there's there's not a lot of dependency except for those elements of like, it, you know, I know we we know every every month it's got to go to the, <laughs> go to town, go to the so-called border town. I fucking hate that term because it's stolen occupied land. We, we need to stop using that term border town in my opinion, because like these these fucking maps like become part of our, our imaginary and how we relate to even these spaces that are no they're fucking stolen occupied lands and all those resources are being hoarded by settlers and then like that's part of even the strategy and the logic behind trading posts um of of this this whole sort of like dependent net you know this network that created dependency and then objectified and separated indigenous expression into a commodity and then hoarded by these white families that have set up these monopolies, you know, over this and talking about like people just concerned about business. Like I, I actually had an argument, uh, lots of arguments online, because I was like, fuck the Super Bowl. And like you have people who were like peddling, and I, I mentioned this in another show, uh, peddling support indigenous resistance t-shirts and all this like you know, it, it land back shit. And they were working right with this, this fucking Super Bowl. It was sanctioned. There's all these Dine artists. There's all these other indigenous artists that were, you know, making the poster, making all this shit. And it's just like, here, you got a racist fucking mascot team 
Amanda Blackhorse, people, you know, like her, who's been fighting against the so-called redskins. I even fucking hate to use that term, but, you know, like there's a legacy of fucking fighting against dehumanization. And then we got people who are slinging support indigenous resistance shirts, cashing in with the Super Bowl and fucking not even showing up, not even saying anything to support Amanda when she's like out there on the front lines, mobilizing people to just say, fuck you for um, dehum continuing to dehumanize and cash in on our people. So like talk about, you know, this collective dissonance in many ways, especially regarding like the appropriation and commodification of like, quote unquote, movement or, you know, liberation uh, uh, cultures of resistance. But, I don't, you know, I don't even know what that means. Um, but the, the the point I'm getting at is, uh, and you, you talk about, um, you know, what can we do in terms of like essentially mutuality and um, it's, it, during the pandemic, I wrote a, a lot and that's sort of where the book came from, uh, at least probably 60% of it was during the pandemic and another part was, um, and it's the pandemic's still going on. I don't want to say post pandemic because we're still living in a crisis. Immunocompromised people are still at risk. Our elders are still at risk. Um, and it hasn't gone away and, and politicians say it won't go away regardless of vaccines, regardless of treatments. The issue is, it's like, to me, the pandemic isn't over until our medicine people say it's over. So, you know, I'm, I'm in immunocompromised, the most vulnerable. Um, but what I say in the book is um, before colonial invasion on these lands, indigenous societies existed without the state. And to me, like part of the opportunity during the pandemic was to seize on the the uh, the weakness of the state because we it was apparent. It was like right in our fucking faces. The state can't, and these fucking corporations can't provide what we need. The supply chains are all fucking crippled. Like what better time to seize the moment, not just to provide mutual aid, but to strike. Like, you know, can we precipitate a crisis to um, make sure there's no recuperation uh, of the state or at least weaken it? And it was interesting to see how many people were like mutual aid essentially was like in many ways, sustaining and maintaining and this is like a probably not a popular take that people want to hear but it was maintaining settler colonial order when we could have been looking at interesting interventions that were more anti-settler society not to sacrifice people because the the additional part of what i propose in my book and i've you know put out there in other places is that you know, as indigenous anarchists, because I'm an indigenous anarchist, um, our project is to replace the principle of political authority with the principle of autonomous indigenous mutuality. And that simply means just like being brought back into the circle with existence and harmony. It doesn't mean like, oh, yeah, we're going to fucking fuck everybody over and bring down the healthcare systems because usually like, you know, this is sort of like People see this as going backwards. It's anti-civ. It's like regressive. I'm like, yeah, because your temporality doesn't work in our fucking ways. And it's a temporality, like the chronology of how 
settlers structure time as a beginning, middle, and end, and it's coded in Christianity with a logical conclusion being revelations and destruction of the world so that your savior can fucking come back or whatever mythologies they have. And that has been weaponized and is still weaponized against us. And it's coded in everything that we face, every institution, as long as you say, in God, we fucking trust. And, you know, I mean, beyond everybody knows this shit. Um, so the part of the proposal is to, you know, and in the con contemplation, because, you know, nobody likes to be prescriptive in the fucking radical world sometimes. You know, it's, sometimes it's nice to be cagey and make suggestions. Uh, and I, I take a risk at the end of the book to make some proposals, but this is, uh, you know, the, the gist of some aspects is um, to live a life in conflict, conflict with authoritarian constraint on stolen occupied lands is a negation of settler colonial domination. So the negation component is maybe, you know, and I'd like to hear more about you and your nihilism because we're talking about apathy. Um, the negation is like, I'm not interested in proposing a positive program for social transformation of settler order. I'm not a fucking revolutionary because revolution means and it implies replacing one power structure from another. I don't believe we can take the state head on and constitute those forces. And I believe that the demise of settler colonization, resource colonization here largely has to be self-inflicted. So getting back to uh, apathy, like I think negation, I think, you know, a, a positive programs is what everybody wants to feel good. So they're looking for this next year's election cycle. They're looking for anything. And yeah, I mean, fucking bombs are dropping on indigenous people in Palestine. Like this fucking society is violent. So how do we undermine it from within? Like everybody's looking outwards, but what about like the fact that Israel is a colonial proxy to the U.S., a weaponized one with the fucking nuclear terror that can precipitate the end of the world, literally, uh, and the backing, regardless of fucking what kind of atrocities are committed, genocidal ones, attacking, you know, killing how many fucking children, bombing hospitals, and then excusing and justifying it, but obviously decrying it when it happens by their quote-unquote enemies of democracy. Um, and so I, I'm going on a long rant. Please feel free to interject or anything, but, you know, to wrap it back to apathy and wrap it back to the last, you know, chapter of my book without being too self-promotional, um, because I, I just gave this a lot of thought. I just sat there. It was actually the hardest chapter of my book to write, um, is that uh, I think we should lean into our failures. I should, we should, you know, the, the, the seventh generation, as I mentioned, what about the seventh degeneration? What can we deteriorate? What can we embody in terms of the negative proposals to bring down the civilization? Because the expectation, you go to fucking school, which my dad calls knowledge factory, to get a fucking job. And this is like... People want to honor the treaties. If you read the most of the fucking treaties, at least the Diné Treaty, eighteen sixty-eight, and a lot of other treaties, education was a compulsory component of that for civilized education. It precipitated, and it was part of the boarding school framework. 
that institution still exists. We just go willingly, uncritically today, and it still has the same result of settler inclusion and imposing settler values. It's just less violent because the violence is internalized. It is, um, it's so deeply embedded in that institution that we don't even fucking recognize it ourselves. Talk about deep cognitive distance, right? Uh, and so, you know, critically challenging that, but also looking at the steps of like, okay, what's next? Uh, go to school, get a fucking job. You know, like how many people look at our unsheltered relatives who are fucking dying on the street every year in the winter or, you know, being raided and being fucking kicked out or whatever. And, you know, I mean, I could go on and on about, you know, the realities that we try to face and address with unsheltered indigenous relatives, particularly in the streets. But the point yeah. that I'll make is that um, uh, people are like, oh, they just get a job. If they, if we give them an opportunity for social mobility, they'll get out of it. And I was like, you know what, maybe there's something to glorify here. You know, the lessons, the most powerful lessons I've learned for organizing have actually come from my experience over a decade plus working with unsheltered indigenous community members. And a lot of them were like, I'd rather live free. I'd rather sleep on the fucking cold car, cold ground during the winter, risk exposure, than be trapped in that way of being again, because the earth is our home. And I want to, uh, you know, it's a hard conversation sometimes because of the destitution, but maybe there's something to, to learn from, to understand, explore, look at failing actually settler society and leaning into reconnecting to those cycles in a different way where we're actually nurturing people, not trapping them in an existence that resigns them to a fate of the death and annihilation, not only of exist indigenous existence, but that also means of the earth and all the non-human beings. Um, yeah, and I could go on, but anyways, that's my yeah. rant for I mean, now. That, I think that's a good to mean, segue into kind of checking in with everybody and what we've all been up to. I mean, when it when you talk about negation or how I'm trying to understand what that means, um, it's you know there's there's a part of me that's it's easy to lean in into like how negation is a destruction that I want to see, you know, that there are institutions or power relationships that I think need to be destroyed, but I know that that's not enough, you know that there's plenty of destruction already like happening. And so I guess I just try to understand, you know, what else is, you know, worth negating. And I think part of that is for me, it's definitely, I've been interested in leaning into um, negating, you know, my own humanity or how we perceive humanness and, because I think there's, again, with failing in settler society, I feel like there's a lot of control and, and power that settlers have over that kind of concept. And I think that we are too comfortable with having a seat at the table of humanness, that we're afraid to reject that part like when we talk about 
certain things um, that dehumanize us. I think that's what the thing that always makes me wonder, is it worth saying that anymore? Is it worth reaffirming it and saying that, yeah, you know, like if settler society is humanism, is it worth not being a part of that anymore? And so I guess trying to understand, you know, these ideas and thoughts that I have on my own. And I think, Klee, you kind of know that I tend to think about logical fallacies a lot. And so I guess I have to iron out all those wrinkles. And I've just been doing that for most of this year. Is just doing a lot of thinking offline and trying to find or understand how to put words into what I've been thinking, I guess. Can you say more about what you mean by like negating your humanness? Like, is, is that like in relation to like who gets to be human and who doesn't like in the settler society or like, yeah, just if you want to elaborate on that. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I had been writing was trying to make sense of, like, humanity as, like, a social category, because that often is how it feels, um, that it's one that is not unlike a class in how we treat non-human life. And that's the part that makes me think that I could feel... Um, comfortable with being inhuman because that means I'm closer in my relationship with other non-human life. And at some point, it's all this non-human life that's we're so upset about that's constantly under this, you know, attack of this kind of reality that we're living in. So but it's also, yeah, like I said, it's just something I'm marinating on and think about every day. But what have you been up to, Eddie? I myself have been going through the trials of attempting to extract myself from the colonial expectations um i my mom um she's a very capitalist native um like she owns her business and um she you know she like she does her presentations um for the like tribal commerce people and um you know maybe it's a generational thing um but at least with people her age natives her age that kind of seems to be the thing at least um from like an oklahoma native perspective um there's a lot of focus around capitalism and like 
obviously like I come from a really like wealthy nation that refers to itself as a corporate entity. Like the Chicksaw Nation acknowledges that it is basically just a corporation in a turkey feather cape. So um obviously like I have a lot of like expectations on me um to be successful in this way and then like my dad he's you know he has a business degree um and it's he's like well you know like I could actually uh, go on for so long about how fascinating economics is and um just like I'm a young person in my mid-20s everyone's like so what are you gonna do with your life um and I'm just like I don't give a fuck about having a career or um, really advancing myself within this society at all. And so that's like something I've been grappling with is just like being okay with like being a disappointment to society or whatever. Like I'm, I'm embracing being useless to society or whatever, because I know that like my, skills and gifts are much better used divesting from all that bullshit because i see people get burned out trying to put their energy into that to try and make some changes here and there but i think it just it just ruins people and i agree that like the best thing to do is not like oh like we need to take the state head on bullshit it just literally needs to collapse and I honestly think that that is completely plausible. Um, something I saw on Twitter, which I'm just going to refer to it as that, okay? That's what it is, is Twitter, okay? Um, and it was this Israeli seller woman um, crying about how a small rocket... Um, partially damaged a grocery store um that she went to and so someone had quote tweeted that and said you know this is actually great because this reveals like how mentally weak the settlers are like it takes actually almost it takes very little effort to make them so scared that they just start leaving themselves um they they're completely dependent not that we aren't but even just the slightest act of resistance has them running scared and you know we we take comfort in that destruction because we take comfort in how we know we're supposed to live and how we know how to respect and live with other life forms and but to them that's all they know that's their entire world and i'm just um more interested in stoking that fear um because people who just exist um in in this society without you know contributing or whatever and are still like living good lives and things like that i think that scares them a lot um and it, it triggers in them deep down maybe some of those like human instincts of like 
is this really how we're supposed to be living? Do I even give a shit? Um, yeah, so just been um working on working on divestment, working on being even more of a menace to society. Can can I just respond to a couple of things? Um, burnout is not the worst of our problems. Like this society is killing people. The way it is organized is it's not just like burnout as, as a as a factor. It's just like we look at one the number of homelessness. We look at the medical industrial complex. We look at fucking even suicide rates, indigenous suicide rates, and it's just like let's actually get to this fucking point here what is precipitating this and this society is fucking annihilating life that it doesn't value or doesn't contribute on the levels and it's designed that way like burnout's a part of it absolutely but i think there are definitely bigger risks and like you know the pandemic has shown the precipice that we're on uh, and the second thing is like i think I like instead of saying weak mindedness of settlers, I like to use the term settler fragility, uh, just because I, I feel like that that dynamic encompasses more and doesn't necessarily play into like the ableist language, but whatever. <laughs> like, call settlers what they fucking are. No, I agree with that. But yeah, settler fra fragility is, is fucking rear, real and it's terrifying. And is something interesting to explore leaning into indigenous villainy. <laughs> Does anyone else have anything that they want to add about just what they've been up to or um, anything like that? Or we can move to the next question. I have a list of shit I'm working on when then said like the activisty shit. Like it's funny because I've always had a sensitivity over that term. Like when I used to, when Aragorn Bang was like rolling around, uh, he would always introduce me or, or occasionally he'd be like, oh, he has a big uh, an, uh, um, activist prof, you know, uh, portfolio. It's like, yeah, um, I do, but it's, I don't, I've, you know, in this book, I explore the ways that I've given up activism and confront them. There's a section on direct action. Um, and I talk about that in depth as to why, um, because it's progressive connotations in terms of maintaining, um, you know, settler society in different ways and maintenance and the institution of activism as a whole, uh, mainly being a project of the nonprofit profit industrial complex at this moment, because it's so modeled and so embedded in terms of how campaigns are run, you know, and you know, especially like, I mean, I could go on and on about like, I've, I've talked to people face to face where they said, I wouldn't show up without a paycheck, you know, to an action or they just throw money at things because that's how activism works anyways. Um, but I, it's a fight for me. It's not activism. It's a care offering, caregiving, stewardship, a sacred duty if you will, even though it sounds high and mighty, but when you really look at our cultural context um, in terms of defending the sacred, there is a responsibility that is committed through ceremony and covenants we have with creation since time immemorial. 
And that's something that like, you know, as warriors or however you want to term it, um, because that's a loaded word and fetishized and tokenized over and over. And a lot of people self-proclaim themselves like aimsters and all that shit. Um, usually the people who call themselves warriors are the ones I stay away from. Uh, it's the ones that have experience and actually fucking fighting because, you know, when we talk about apathy, um, we have to talk about despair and uh, we have to talk about hope. Uh, and I just like the last chapter, you know, it's, it's called towards the colonial nothing. And, uh, it to me is just like, I go, I go on and on about this concept of hope. And a lot of it was actually inspired by Chelsea Watego, who's, um, uh, indigenous in occupied Australia. And she wrote a book called another day in the colony. And it specifically characterizes her experiences as academic, but then personally, and the last chapter just is beautifully titled Fuck Hope. And I uh, highly recommend everybody to read it. At least, you know, the, 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 the beginning, you know, has some issues, mainly because there's a lot of like aspirations to still be included in academic industrial complex. Um, but when you get to it, is worth it so worth it to get into that last chapter because it's it's a it's an indigenous nihilism that is um she doesn't even give a fuck to define she doesn't even, she calls it indigenous nihilism and then that's it she doesn't t connect to sterner nietzsche or all these fucking dead european bullshit people who are trying to figure out and respond to a dead european world to d determine what the meaning of life is and a lot of people get nihilism confused too they're like they don't understand how nuanced nihilism can be. Uh, there's active and passive nihilism, which I think is really important for people to understand. And I highly recommend if anybody's interested in learning more about anarcho-nihilism to read Blessed is the Flame first, because there's a very succinct, succinct definition of uh, anarcho-nihilism in that book. And it is an exploration of uh, people who did not survive the Holocaust and we're resisting against all futility against all quote unquote hope when faced with gas chambers and the documentation is fucking intense and it's powerful. If you really want to fucking understand where shit is at on some levels, it's a great book in my opinion. And there's a, there's a few other books that I'd recommend and I do make recommendations to be, uh, in, in, from my research in the book, but, um, the point I was going to get to, which I guess I made a whole bunch of points already, is the list of things that are pissing that I'm working on. I have a board game coming out called Burn the Fort, which I've been working on actually longer than the book for like six years. Um, and I'm waiting for the shipment to come any day. And it's supposed to, we're supposed to do a game launch party on this winter solstice. I don't know if this show is going to come out before then. Hopefully it does. Um and uh, yeah, it's uh, two projects that were supposed to pair with each other, essentially. Like board game is like, it's analog, it's experiential. It's supposed to critically engage people in resistance history because in most tabletop gaming, it's like settlers of fucking Catan, Monopoly. Like even though Monopoly is supposed to be like an anti-capitalist game, that's actually how it was designed. A lot of people don't know it. Um, it's 
you know, used as a capitalist model for actually playing the people that, you know, the elites that were, uh, you know, you win by gaining the most. And that's actually supposed to be the lesson that this is fucked up and rigged <laughs> and fucking other people over. But a lot of people, it's lost uh, people. And, and, you know, of course, there's a, there's a handful of like anti-colonial games out there now but um anyways uh that's a big project and the one that i led off earlier which is really in the forefront really fucking driving me right now is um this campaign we have with an organization i'm part of called hall no which was started in 2017 and um the struggle right now is to protect uh red butte which is a sacred site for havasupai's place of emergence it's also um, culturally significant and sacred to Dine and Hopi. I grew up uh, gathering minerals and understanding the history of that area uh, with my father's Tothli, as most people know, and uh, going to spiritual gatherings up there when they were called. And it's just on the south rim of the Grand Canyon. This uranium mine was project was started in the 1980s. My uncles, actually, literally my my dad's two of his brothers worked on that mine in the 80s and helped to build that head frame. So I feel like I have a responsibility to undo the work that they fucking did. Uh, and I have all these stories about it. But anyways, um, they uh, every, every once in a while they tease me <laughs> about that. <laughs> they dropped me a message like, hey, you're still trying to tear down that mine I built? Like, uh, um, anyways, uh, the, uh, the fight is that that mine, uh, even though... And I want to sort of get into this because we're moving into this next Gregorian calendar on their fucking whatever bullshit New Year uh, coming in, and it's an election cycle. So people are going to get all a fee. And we're talking about apathy and people not stepping up maybe the same way that they did during the George Floyd uprising, maybe not stepping up the same ways that they did during like the, the fever of mutual aid, you know, we could talk maybe about co-optation and some of the liberal, you know, uh, suppression and particularly from the democratic party, that would be good. Uh, and especially now, like the fucking people's eyes are open to the realities of the Obama administration, I mean, the, the Biden administration considering like his fucking wholesale support for Israel and the, the, the increased attacks on migrant communities uh, in so-called border of uh, U.S. and Mexico. Um, but the, the, the fight uh, is that Biden um, declared, the most recent update is Biden declared in August, I think very recently, um, National Monument designation of the Grand Canyon area to restrict new mining claims that Obama initially established back in uh, his reign his regime. And uh, it was a welcome act, you know, there's 3,000 new abandoned uranium mine claims, or 3,000 new uranium claims that were being filed around the Grand Canyon, which would have been devastating. You know, for those of you who don't know, the Dinepike out of the Navajo Nation borders, even our, within our sacred mountains, there are 522 abandoned uranium mines that have never been cleaned up. Uh, we have wells that have been closed due to high levels of radioactive contamination. They're unregulated wells, but people, there's like over 50,000 people that documented rely on it. So when you talk about one, disproportionate impacts from COVID and two, 
the whole issue about like water, you know, access and 30% people live without running water. It's because, yeah, you fucking poisoned our wells because of nuclear colonialism. Like this is not a fucking accident. Like it's by design because we are first and foremost as a Dine nation that Dinebikea, a resource colony, always been that. And, you know, my family's experience with forced relocation up in Black Mesa, resisting coal mining, resisting neo-colonial tribal governments is a testimony to that. Um, and so, uh, uh, yeah, we're fighting this mine. Uh, the Biden action did not shut down that mine. It's actually allowed to operate. There's a lot of misinformation. People think, oh, the fight's over because Biden did this, sign this fucking piece of paper. No, he actually signed it near Red Butte where that mine was active. And after he signed that order, the mine owner, the CEO said, we're ready to fucking start mining any day. We're more ready than we have been. And the market of uranium is going up because these fucking big green environmental groups are saying nuclear is a solution for a carbon-free future, which we know is a deadly lie because we're still living the fucking legacy. There's never been a human health, comprehensive human health study of the impacts of uranium mining on the Navajo Nation in these abandoned uranium mines. That's a fucking reality we live with. So the can the it used to be called the Canyon Mine. They rebranded it and called it now the Pinyon Plain Mine, and they could start extracting ore any day. And what that will mean is is that there will be thirty trucks or sorry twelve trucks per day taking high level radioactive ore from that mine site about um, a uh, three hundred miles through uh, Valley, through Williams, through Occupied Flagstaff, through uh, Cameron, where there's uh, about 109 uh, documented abandoned uranium mines just in that region, through the corridor up to Tuba, uh, Tuba City, and to Kayenta, then up through um, uh, Bluff to near Blanding, the White Mesa Mill. It's the only commercially operating uh, uranium processing plant in the whole country owned by the same company that's opening this mine uh, called Energy Fuels. Uh, and so that operation at White Mesa is poisoning Ute Mountain Ute lands. They're uh, fighting that um, uranium mill and we're fighting the operation, as Hall know, to shut down one, the mine, to stop it. But all the environmental groups, we actually just had a talk last night, um, which is December 13th from when we're recording, for those of you. Uh, we're going to post that on Hallno's website, hallno.com. Uh, and uh, we just, you know, we're sitting there with these big green representatives from organizations like Center for Biological Diversity and Sierra Club, and uh, they can't do anything. They've exhausted all legal means. And I write about this in the book in terms of the San Francisco peak struggle. They've exhausted all legal means. They've exhausted all administrative means. They've exhausted, you know, their campaign limitations. So we're like, you know, Hall no, we're we have a two-pronged strategy. We've always had this since when we started in 2017. We knew that they were gonna fail. So we're leaning into that failure and we're saying, yeah, our bodies are gonna be in the way. But even that is not sustainable. Direct action in terms of like a campaign like this, it's like mostly symbolic and fuck if I want to get arrested again 
I've been arrested so many times and I don't want to feed more people in the carceral state. If you look at Standing Rock, you look at Line 3, you look at all these contemporary movements, how is the the new political environment and the the sort of like state of treating land defenders and water protectors as terrorists essentially with groups like Tiger Swan and paramilitary forces like helping our people if we just keep feeding bodies into like the 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 colonial um, architecture of the carceral. And what I mean by carceral is uh, carceral is a term that's used to identify what is a prison state and includes like police, paramilitary, like policing, uh, militarized police uh, forces, the, um, the the whole judicial system laws uh, that they enforce, the judges then that, you know, provide sentencing in the prison as like one whole complex that is a, a structure of the state. So when we say carceral state, that's sort of what is, what is meant. Um, so why are we going to feed more indigenous bodies? I'm not interested in that. I'm more interested in getting away with shit, you know, targeted actions that are strategic or compulsory, whatever, invent innovative, um, and maybe lone wolf, maybe there's other means, you know, if you read my book, I'm a little cheeky about that to dig into it. Um, but yeah, just uh, in terms of hall knows, it's like, you can't fucking do this. Your laws are failed. We know there's no justice on soul land. We have to put ourselves in the way. Um, and it it sucks because it's like, you know, we're not going to be principal mart martyrs and sacrifice ourselves. We really want to fucking shut this shit down. But if anything, we'll just send you a fucking message and we'll try to take, precipitate a crisis to take you down, you know, and that's got to be part of the deterioration of the social order. So, you know, I, I believe in propaganda, the deed. And what I mean by that, which is an anarchist concept, is like even just the the action itself becomes propaganda. The deed is propaganda and it spreads, it proliferates, and it shows people you can say fucking no, you can step up, and you can precipitate the crisis that brings the system to its fucking gra the, the ground. You know, our the whole Southwest is dotted with the ruins. Empires have come and empires have gone. The sun has set on multitudes of fucking empires, kingdoms, and, you know, we can be part of that process, that natural cycle that precipitates that crisis to unfold a little farther. Some people will call that accelerationism. Put your foot on the fucking gas. Let's go put more logs. Here's my, <laughs> here's my log on the fire. But yeah, so that's the other thing. I have a whole other list of shit that I'm doing, um, but then it'll just fucking turn into the show of like, oh, here's all this shit like we're still doing mutual aid we're doing we're mobilizing people at hello and info shop we're trying to like reopen it as conflict infrastructure again you know because the nature of the pandemic has changed but yeah that's, Damn. that's another tired. another story I'm getting tired just listening to you yeah, because I fucking talk too much. I, I've been accused All of that. I, I wrote, oh I, I, I wrote a book and I still talk too much. I'm just like, just read the book. But then people are like, is it on audio book yet? And I, like, I'll read. I'll read. I'll, I'll, I'll read it. the. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was just saying we'll take turns. We'll, we'll be the audio book voice. Hey, you have a copy of the book. I told you to read because you're the kind of person where I'm just like most people. I'm like read the progression because it shows my deterioration as like a progressive activist who had liberal tendencies at one point and i'm very upfront and honest because like in my 20s i was like mm -hmm. fucking rabid on it like i would have hated this book i would have been like fuck this book this is a piece of shit the same way though right now if i read a book that i wrote back then i would be like fuck this fucking 
settler inclusionist asshole mm. who is trying to like high horse shit to protect sacred places and cozy up at a seat at the table, you know, rather than like burn that fucking table to the ground. So uh, you would, I would, I would recommend starting with the last chapter and working your way back and ignoring the, 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 um, the chapters that don't matter. It's, it's, I was going to say, I was like, it sounds like I should just read the end, but yeah, I might turn it into a zine at some point, but it's, it's sort of long. So it would have to be edited, but I don't know. We're giving out free copies to indigenous crews and, um, so advocates, like there's no, it's anti-copyright to it. Eventually it will be anarch, on an anarchist library. Everything um, ends up there, even if it's trash. <laughs> this is just like a, a polished bit of filth and fire that is certainly designed to draw condemnation. Because I'm, I, I think we need to have critical engagement. We need to actually lean into that cognitive dissonance on a critical conscious level developing level for our folks in terms of addressing recognition, settler inclusion, and participating in the social order, because that's the trajectory people are on. When you talk about people slanging shit and, you know, not wanting to deal with the Super Bowl, it's like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's part of it. It's like, it's not that you have to actually do things. What about the things that you actually just maybe just don't do? Yeah, I mean, I think that was the only time I've, you know, tried within a few years of trying to see how malleable people's anger is about their everyday lives. And it is, but I don't know. It just, I don't know if you need some charismatic uh, party leader to do it or what, but it didn't work for me. Well, you know, there's, isn't there like a, a, a indigenous group that's trying to precipitate the dictatorship of the proletariat and hyper-industrialization of indigenous? Um, in, <laughs> in North America. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know what's going on with them. Actually, actually, we'll just stop there. Fuck it. <laughs> In terms of what I'm doing, I'm not doing shit. And I'm going to try not to do shit. And, um, you know, I, like I said, I've just been doing a lot of thinking, trying to make my own sense of everything. And I want to say that, you know, I'll have things to offer instead of just describing, you know, how I feel about everything or describe what I'm observing. And, but I don't really want to have that on a timeline to say, you know, how that looks. Um, but as far as everyday things, I mean, you know, I like decorating the city, you know, I like whatever, I guess what I'm getting at is I can see, you know, how much time and effort goes into writing a book and thinking out these thoughts, but I still really enjoy narrowing down all those words to just a few that you can paint on a wall. Um, that kind of just 
straight to the point. And that's the most time I like to spend, quote unquote, doing something. You know, it's just decorating the city with ideas that I know everybody's thinking and feeling, but, you know, maybe they're just not comfortable saying. But you get to live in a condensed place like this city. You work together, you fight together, you try to relax together, whatever the fuck we're doing, but we all kind of feel the same way and we all just those of us who may or may not be anarchists that are aware of this you know we wait for this condensed group of people to be outraged enough to walk the streets you know and it's just like we wait for that thing to happen to sort of push it in the direction we want to see it go in and that's like a dance that's played out here over the years. And clearly, I'm sure you're familiar with this dynamic of this kind of shit. But as far as what I'm doing, it's mostly, mostly that. It's funny. Cause I was going to ask you, Kitty, well, one, if you had any thoughts based upon my fucking rant shit, long winded stuff and two, like exactly what Chiji was saying, what brings you joy? Like what, you know, what brings you joy these days? For me, um, obviously like doing drag, um, but something that I really want to actually start exploring is how can I do drag in a way that either educates people or inspires action because obviously like the drag community is rife with they call it like sign drag um where essentially like someone's like performing and then they just like have a sign that says like whatever and they like hold up the sign during their number or um just things like that and I just wonder how can I take it a step further like how can I go beyond sign drag or because I have this like struggle in myself about like what is art that is like actually inspiring change and what is just like symbolic or like fluff um so that's something i'm trying to figure out and also something that i say a lot is that like none of this bullshit is going to stop unless we literally put our bodies on the line and stop it because we all know like you were saying like you knew that all of this government bullshit attempts to stop the mine would fail years ago you knew that and i think it's just something that we really need to start like accepting the responsibility that no one is going to come in and stop this we have to be the ones to do it and it on it does bring me joy to like deepen my solidarity with people who are 
bearing the brunt of the colonial bullshit. Because like you said, like the most I've learned is from doing that. Um, learning what it is to like be free from this society which obviously it comes with a lot of like suffering and death and violence because that's what happens to you if you try to resist it but yeah just uh like deepening my solidarity there um like deepening my spiritual connections uh to the land and to my own ancestors and continuing to reconnect um to chickasaw culture um we're a pretty disconnected and christianized group um and it's really important to me that we start to bring back our real values um so yeah that's that's kind of where where i'm where i'm headed with all this i just want to I don't want to say like do as much as I can, but I'm ready. My body is ready um, to like get the shit on the road. Cause something else that I've realized is that no one else is going to fucking do it unless you just go and do it. Um, one thing I want to give a little shout out just to like the struggle in Atlanta against cop city um which probably everyone knows by now like what's going on there with they want to build a police training facility which actually israeli soldiers would be coming to train police officers there um if this construction is accomplished however um maybe one or multiple uh, contractors who are supposed to be doing this construction have pulled out of the project um, because their equipment was destroyed. Um, just the sheer embarrassment, like, I don't know of um, how much people don't want this and how adamant they've been about that they don't want it. And also that people have made it actively dangerous because they're like, okay, well, if you're going to put equipment, then we're going to blow it up or we're going to disable it. And like that really speaks to me and what I think about like, yeah, we have to stop it physically, literally stop it. And that's inspiring. Yeah. And I, I think it's important to like, just make the distinction is like you have this activist above grounds, direct action mentality and campaign points, but then you have like the earth liberation front, animal liberation front below underground, like, you know, interventions uh, that destroy what destroys us, you know, directly. And they're trying to ban masks and people are fighting it. And I'm like, lean into the criminality. Like, you know, there's there's an element of this at some point where anti-settler society is just that. Like our ancestors didn't vie to be legitimized by the state in terms of, you know, we're doing everything legally and our rights need to be recognized. We need to know our rights and assert them. And uh, we're not criminals. No, they were fucking terrorists. 
<laughs> like people yeah, are all people. fucking settler fragility and the narrative here characterizing Palestinians fighting their for their fucking life in the face of genocide and just like an onslaught of like indiscriminate bar bombardments are the terrorists like there's two there's two sides all this fucking no you know how long this attack these attacks have been fucking waged and at some point people are just gonna say no can't take it anymore and shit's gonna pop off with violence like you know i highly recommend reading peter or uh peter gilderloo's gilderloo's book how Nonviolence protects the state and um Ward hill's uh work on um smashing pacifism great books uh to specifically address that but yeah like it's at some point shit's got to burn and and those are actions when people get away with them you know and and this is like december marks um an intense time you know when the green scare started back way in early 2000s where there was a systematic attack where you know the, the feds uh identified um eco extremists they go to quote-unquote terrorists as uh, uh the the number one domestic terror threat in the u.s you know and this is like post fucking 9 11 because they were so effective they were not fucking benign they were not begging politicians to recognize their pain to make my you know minor reforms and social transformation it's like they're no they were fucking burning suvs burning ski resorts burning fucking experimental test facilities burning fucking logging equipment to the ground and there's a lot of risk i don't want to just you know um say it casually because the green scare I highly recommend people looking it up and learning lessons from that it was a coordinated attack by the FBI to like lock people up. And I lost uh, a lot of friends of mine personally were incarcerated for a long time. And I lost a dear friend on the winter solstice, took his life apparently, but I say he was murdered by the state because the conditions here in occupied Flagstaff's Coconut County jail um, some years ago. But anyways, uh, yeah, sorry, I just interjected because fuck yeah, <laughs> shit's popping off and occupying. Be okay with being a criminal because <laughs> even people who were just raising the money for the people who got arrested out in Atlanta are also catching charges. So the circle just gets bigger and bigger. So yeah. accept criminality. It's worth mentioning too that we're approaching... Uh, I think it's been a year since Tortuguita was murdered by Georgia State Patrol. Um, you know, there's a lot of room there to remember what day that happened and to, um, you know, show some solidarity and remembrance. Are we doing shout outs now or what? Yeah, we might as well wrap up. We've been talking for a while. All right. Well, I got a shitload of shout outs. <laughs> call outs shout outs whatever yeah Is well that where we're at, kitty yeah. do i have um i mean hmm. yeah okay i actually i have a bone to pick here um so in occupied phoenix um there is a drag artist 
running around, getting booked, getting jobs. And she is a fucking Nazi. And she has a swastika tattoo. And her name is Phoebe Phobia. And Phoebe Phobia, bitch, it's over for you. Like, and I'm calling out everyone who is working with her too. When y'all know, people know about this. Um, it's said behind closed doors all the time. And then people still go and work with her. Um, there's Zionists running amok down there. Um, people who are claiming to be politically active are working with these artists. And that's fucking disgusting. So if you stand for anything and you see, and you, you, you go to drag shows in Phoenix and you see that Phoebe Phobia is on the lineup, boycott that shit and tell people because that should not even be remotely fucking acceptable. That's it. Boy, boycott at the minimum. I mean, fucking bash back, bash forward. The now I'm not Nazis advocating for assault. I'm not advocating for assault. <laughs> so, okay. For some reason, I just go there, but it's not something, <laughs> yeah. I, informational, purpose, I don't know, hypothetical, <laughs> whatever. I don't fucking... <laughs> Pardon me. For legal purposes, this is a joke. Chizzy, you were, you were going to say something? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, I want to thank the knife that stabbed Derek Chauvin in prison. Um, want to shout out Burn the Pilgrim, you know, Wasteland Distro, Sip Fucks, those metal Hopi heads and Suppressor DJ for helping me. Nikki out in Bonnie for hosting. Um, you know, I guess a, a big fuck you to the organizers of the Indigenous Peoples Day in Phoenix this year. Um, I went over to that and uh, the way they would uh, kiss the Salt River projects like donation boots throughout the whole days. It was pretty cringe and embarrassing and just gross. So wow. other than that, I mean. Bootlicking settler colonial corporations that are fucking destroying our waterways. Like where's the water protector honoring when you're bootlicking these fuckers and celebrating indigenous people's day. Wow. Exactly. So going at everybody. Well, I thought you were gonna do call outs. Is that just, just shout outs? Props? I mean, I could think of some call outs, but should we what we got a list somewhere, don't we? <laughs> Probably too long of a list of uh enemies. <laughs> um yeah, I, I'll I'll do some like props, I guess, too, like you know, shout outs to folks. Um there's a lot of folks in indigenous action that couldn't make it today because they're fucking busy. Like this is survival people are expecting us to like you know sometimes like where's the content is like we do this like when we have time we do this and that's sometimes not a lot of time um on the scale where things are at and uh no one gets paid it's all community support so thanks for everybody who donated when we put that call out on 
uh, Indigenous Actions Instagram for support because that really fucking means a lot. But at the same time, when I look at like groups like Indian Collective and these mass nonprofits who are like raking in millions of dollars for hack fucking bullshit, like corporate handouts that they already have like a hundred million to distribute 10 million from just bezos and they still like scrap you know beg for people for donations for change and all that shit you know i'm just like wow y'all are one of the most exploitative groups that's basing your whole like premise off of this book called decolonizing wealth that is a piece of trash uh calling money as medicine and trying to like essentially use capitalism you know to what do land back real estate transactions and all that shit i'm just like no it's, that's not liberation that's like the opposite direction we're we should be fucking going in and so um but the shout out to people who at least chipped in 20 bucks 10 bucks there who probably fucking barely have it themselves like you know i really just want to express that appreciation and again like you know um, uh, Anthony and Ba and, and Amara couldn't join us this evening and they've been more consistent forces with hosting. I don't know what next year's like in the Gregorian calendar is going to look like for us, the cycles. Um, but we want to keep the conversation going. So it can't happen without your support. Of course, donate, contribute if you want. Otherwise, this, just, this shit just happens whenever we have time and our, our fucking complicated you know, schedules align. So I want to thank you both for stepping up and being part of this really interesting conversation. I didn't know where it was going to go. So um, I have way too many fucking call outs to list. And the funny thing is, is like uh, I intentionally have some aspects of the book to draw that con condemnation out because it's a provocation, education, agitation, and we need to learn from the lessons, especially our fucking failures, and do it in real time. And if we can lean deep enough, like, I think there's an interesting space of, like, negation that will help us move through. Um, and I'm looking forward to that. Anybody who's along for the fucking ride, let's go. Uh, and shout out to all the Palestinian folks who are fucking putting themselves at risk, like speaking out, like fucking hell, like this, the fascism is like moving to this election cycle with people, indigenous people who are like, on the one hand, they're going to be posturing like free Palestine. And then next year, they're going to be like, voting is sacred. So like voting for fucking who? Voting for I'm... what? A choice between who again? Like the argument against like, you know, me you know, in our crew for publishing voting is not harm reduction. Uh, where's your argument now? That's actually how I got introduced to Indigenous Action was through the uh, voting is not harm reduction um, back in like 2019. Not looking forward to the voting is sacred crowd this year. Like, oh my God, I know we're all dreading it. I don't think I can deal with it. I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't something's gonna happen. Like I'm gonna I'm going off the rails with this. Next episode. Mm -hmm. Off the rails with Kitty Contagion. <laughs>
Let's talk about how drag has been co-opted and initially was a revolutionary force, not only leading the Stonewall riots, but many other uprisings that are not recognized, especially in context of fucking trans existence and the fight against annihilation. The RuPaulification of drag, if you will. <laughs> yeah, right, right. RuPaul on their ranch. Like everybody knows this for the most part, but yes. those of you not following has like... Uh, leases with uh, oil or like fracking companies. <laughs> Fucking hell. Oh. I didn't know that. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, that's that's been a thing since like 2016, maybe even before that, I think. But who knows what else is going on with that? You can find this podcast on any of the usual podcast platforms or at indigenousaction.org slash podcast. Email us pics of burning cop cars, burning churches, burning forts, or any topics that you wish to hear us go claws out on at iainfo at protonmail.com.